Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, we're about to jump into what could be one of the most technical and mind-numbingly complex top, mid and lower funnel media briefs we've seen for a long time. Certainly Virgin Australia's head of paid media, Ben Will, says the complexity of the project we're about to unpack was, and I quote, mind-blowing. And he should know. Ben was the catalyst for Virgin, PhD and dynamic creative agency Idyllic, landing the MFA 2022 top award for real-time marketing. And real-time it certainly was. Thick in the middle of COVID, restrained by the airline going into voluntary administration before this campaign launched, and that Virgin's marketing team had been cut by 90%, like so many brands did at the time, Virgin needed to get back on the public radar as flights and travel started to splutter into some form of life. Thousands of creative messages based on real-time flight searches were matched with Virgin's booking and flight capacity feeds and thousands of real-time media placements to put the airline on the consideration set for travellers with messages personalised to the destinations they were looking at. It required a huge amount of upfront work to deliver what Ben says he's been dreaming about for five years, but only more recently can do thanks to advances in automation and tech. It's a great dream world you have, Ben. I'm looking forward to sort of unpacking that a bit. We'll get into the results. They worked, by the way, but Ben and the team at PhD are now onto version 3.0. So to talk through how they manage the furious complexity, changing tactics on a dime, and what's next, Ben is joined by PhD's Group Digital Director, Andy Potter. Welcome to you both. This is a really interesting one. Ben, let's start first with you and talk us through the strategy and the idea on this one. I think even you admit that it was a complicated logistical beast to tame and probably up there is one of the most complicated in your career so far. And you're very, very old, Ben, I can tell. So what was the customer and and marketing challenge you were trying to solve for first? And then we'll get to what you developed. But the challenge here for for Virgin at the time was what? And welcome, Ben. Good to have you on. Yeah, nice nice to meet you. And thanks for having us. Yeah, great to talk about it. It's been a real team effort. I've been working for VA six and a half years now. So like you've said, I've had a bit of a dream. That's the advantage of working for one company for a long time. You really build that perfect marketing paid media machine over time. And the one thing that DCO delivered was to be part of the perfect sales machine. So we knew that we've done a lot across other channels like search and um, social, but we always knew that programmatic is a channel, programmatic display that is very scalable. We also know there's a lot of banner blindness <laughs> yeah and we knew that we can only get cut through if we get a really relevant and engaging creative so we built up the technology we all got together so we knew that Qantas has a much higher awareness but for us what is really relevant is to be aware and top of mind at the moment when it matters so being in market across the full funnel across people that want to book a flight across the sort of dream plan and book layer are important for us. And yeah, with the DCO work, we were able to do that in a very efficient way. So the sales machine that we've built was all about driving incremental revenue at a cost efficiency that the business is really happy with. So that's basically what we've built. Right. That was a challenge. And so, I mean, that was the brief. 
And I guess the, the idea behind the brief was to your earlier point, banner blindness, how do you cut through and get attention? And the grand play here was to at least personalise to an extent to a bunch of segments on, on things that were relevant for them. So talk through this notion you believe that personalisation in some form would give you cut through. Yeah, so we can't target an individual through paid media, but we can have a lot of different cohorts and we can combine many different layers of messaging that is relevant to users and all that together put into a creative that is sort of like highly targeted will make really made a big difference. And I can, um, a bit later, I can talk a bit more about the details of what it did actually achieve and what are the different layers that we built into the creative Yeah, no, we'll definitely go there. So just, and I guess at the top line, Ben, you know, why was it such a technically mind-blowing strategy? I mean, the complexity up front, I think your brief was three and a half billion pages and there was a lot of things that you had to cover. Just why was it so mind-blowingly technical? Yeah. So first of the travel journey or the purchase journey in the travel industry is super complex, right? You've got business traveler, you've got leisure travelers, people are in market to fly international or domestic So there is such a high complexity and people do lots of research online. They go to price comparison sites like Skyscanner. They go to OTAs like Flight Center. They do go to Google Flights, Google Search. So, so many different touch points. I think someone said over 30 touch points just for one booking. But it's all happening digital. So we have all the data, right? It's either there contextually or because people have been to specific websites. So that complexity to a degree, can be captured if you do it right. And that was sort of our ambition. We knew that there are very important factors, like, for example, when do you want to fly? You know, how many days until you want to fly? How many days since your last time you were interested in booking a flight? You know, like, even those two time-relative variables were so important for us to really understand when should we be there and when should we be advertising to our customers because that signals when they're ready to fly or that signals how close they are. Is that your point there on on those two variables? Exactly. And it really was important for us to trigger the right creative. So if you're in the very beginning, so if you're off your journey, what we call more the dream journey, we want to serve more inspirational creatives. When we then in the plan layer, we knew that they are about to book, but they don't know exactly where they want to fly. So we sort of showed creatives with multiple Um, routes and multiple price points and then if we knew they're just about to book they're just waiting for the right price we just sort of really focus on that one um, price point ad so aligning our creatives across the purchase journey was sort of the first really (laughs) high complexity task that we wanted to tackle but um that was just actually being with the right creative at the right time but there were so many more factors and like one of the key points was all around the research that we've done and coming out of COVID because perception was very different across what what are the drivers um, for people to book a flight. And because all states were different based on border closures, yet in some states, when we did some research and surveys, we found out that health and well-being is more important. In others, it's what it was all about addressing the fear of water closures and cancellations. So we were communicating more like the no change, you know, cancellations um, without a fee. And in others, it was just about coming up with the best price point, the best offers. So 
Building that all in. So how many creative iterations did you have? And this was dynamic, so it was automated in some form. So how many segments, how many travellers, how many creative iterations? And we'll get to the media bit in a second with Andy. But all of that, Ben, have you got any top-line numbers there and just quantifying that the size of the the task that you had in front of you? It was over 80,000 variants. Wow. Right. And you had to write rules for all those? Yeah. (laughs) So we built this beautiful decision tree where all these different rules came together. You know, where in the funnel do you sit? Is it a sale or not a sale? Um, where are you based? What are the interests of you? And what are your sort of pain points? You know, like, so all these pieces had to come together and it could only be done by what we call a decision tree that in real time decides, run through all the different logical um, questions, yes or no, <laughs> and then deliver the right yeah. creative. Well, and so this is where we get it gets interesting because if you had a decision tree with 80,000 variables, then it was up to the team on the call today and the creative team to, to design those rules before you even launched. You had to sort of set all them out. So there was 80,000 variables that humans had to deal with for the automation. <laughs> well, thankfully, not that many. I think there were eight general layers yeah. of different variables, but because if when you multiply them all, ended up to be 80,000 different creative iterations that a customer could see. Fascinating. You also talked, we talked earlier, Ben, about um, the challenge of getting the brand, you, the marketing team, the media agency and the creative agency aligned. There was some interesting learnings you took out of that. One, creatives chase perfection like no other, I think, was some sort of quip you made on that. But just bringing those, your partners together, how was that experience? Yeah, it was quite challenging, but also rewarding at the end because we built like a real dream team to make it all happen but it was across various different personality types and skill sets. You know, you've got the media team that know all about the DSPs and how to activate it programmatically. Then you've got our internal resource that manages our feed management to bring all the business data into the setup. In that little area, that includes like your bookings, your availabilities, your seat allocation. What are the feeds coming from the business that had to go into that, Ben? Yeah, so it's primarily around price points and availability. You know, like if we've got a sale fair, it would, would be in there if we've got a normal price point. And, and it's all breaking down by the individual um, routes. And, you know, we, we don't have that many routes that we fly to, you know, like in comparison to some e-commerce players, they've got millions of products. Not that we have that, but because the dynamic pricing is so different, that if you multiply the different routes times the di- price points that are available, it becomes like a huge amount of data. And that's why we had to actually apply feed, feed management tools that normally only the big sort of digital e-commerce players are using. And that's sort of how we a little bit, yeah, I, I think it was a bit of a hack for us to really get there. So you had media, you had your internal business feeds, and then you had the creative that you had to wrestle with as well. How'd that go? How did those creatives go? Yeah, well, you know, you ha- we have to say we need a templated approach across the full funnel. That, that's a bit of a challenge for a creative person. They want to make everything look perfect, you know. But the, our creative studio have done like a fantastic job to build it, build it all into one templated design because all these different creatives they have to cater for all the different variables. And it was a huge playbook that we've built which first was developed conceptually and then when we actually build it, 
in the technical template with Adilic, our DCO team, there was another variation where we had to tweak things to make sure it actually all worked because, you know, you can't move elements from the left to the right corner and at the same time change the frames and the whole framework of it. It just doesn't work. It all has to follow some rules. So I think it's funny, you, you, uh, both you and Andy talked about at some point uh, the entire team got to a stage where they said, no more rules, no more iterations. We're going to put the wall down and say, live with what we've got. Andy, we've got a sense from Ben on the, the complexity from Virgin's uh, perspective on what was required. I imagine you probably haven't done anything like this before, have you, or PhD? How did this go, this brief go versus what some of the other things you've been working on? And welcome, Andy. Thank you so much, Paul. So yeah, I think, um, yeah, we have worked with other clients on dynamic creative solutions in numerous occasions. And in many of those occasions, we have worked alongside, you know, uh, the likes with Adilic or other dynamic creative suppliers like uh, Flash, Flash Talking or Google Studio. And they work with hundreds of clients as well. So it wasn't something that was just new for us or complex for us, but very complex as well for, you know, for people who are very, very used to developing solutions for other clients. I really like that what Ben said, that it really required a lot of people to work together and that's why it was so complex. We have to, you know, we had to develop an extensive set of decisioning and rules on how the creative should behave across the funnel. We really needed to understand what was important for people at that specific moment in time. So not what was, in, you know, relevant to their location or where they wanted to fly, but you know, there were key barriers to travel at that specific moment in time. People were really worried about traveling and, you know, cancellation fees, price sensitivity. So those were things that we really needed to take into account, not just, you know, and also there were other variations, you know, what might be important for someone uh, traveling to New South Wales during that period of time may not be important to someone flying to Queensland, right? So we had to take everything into account, what was important to people based on their location, based on a lot of different variations. So it was really, really complicated and working with the creative agency, working with the DSPs, working with, you know, our programmatic teams, it was hard to just bring all of that together. And as as Ben was saying, like, um, you know, 80,000 potential variations, we also had to make sure, you know, that there was quality assurance that once the activity was up live in, in market, there were no problems, no issues. So there was a lot of testing and, and making sure that everything was working as expected. So, so yeah, very complex and, and, and very bespoke to VA's needs uh, at the time. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's where it became really complicated. You know, we had this one call where everyone had these ideas and everyone's like, Oh, but we should do this and that. And it became so we had a document in the beginning that showed the decision tree and then it developed into what we call the Bible, right. <laughs> which became this like really frightening large document. So that's when we were like, okay, hang on a second. You know, what's the effort of building this additional rule into it and what's the value we're getting out of it? And yeah, to that point, at one moment, we're like, okay, this is just too much. Because in theory, you can build this perfect solution that caters to whatever you imagine right. could be to, that you want to deliver. But, you know, at one point, it just becomes too complex. And to your point, Andy, the, the QA, you know, the quality check of it, it just became too complicated. Yeah, so we had to keep it simple. Yeah, it's really interesting. Can you recall something where you went, okay, we're not going to do that. So when you said the return on the effort for adding another rule, what did that look like? Where did you get tempted to go? 
in, down a rabbit hole that you said, no, we're not going to go there. Can you give an example? Yeah, so it's sort of the, the airports where you could potentially be interested to fly from. You know, in Brisbane and Gold Coast, that's a bit more logical, you know, like if you, you know, if you want to fly to, let's say, Darwin, you've got your choice, you know, do you fly from Brisbane or do you fly from Gold Coast? In that case, you can only fly from Brisbane, but for other flights, you've got a choice. So what becomes, where do you get the better conversion rate? Do you actually go drive up to Brisbane or do you fly from the Gold Coast? And that's sort of like one set of rule. But then if you right. <laughs> apply that across the whole country and you're like, okay, well, what's your likelihood if you're in Newcastle? Do you go to Sydney or not? You know, And it just became like all these individual rules. Just, yeah, it just becomes a lot. Right. But Andy, was there any other rule that sort of was standing out for you? I think, I think what stands out for me was that we were, as Ben, you were saying, we, we were all, oh, like, what if we do this? What if we create this specific rule? And we had this, the Bible that was so long at one point, Paul, that we were, we couldn't remember how, how the creative should behave, you know, because we were forgetting how all of the decisions that we created. So it got to a point where the idyllic team, you know, they were they were incredible with their development their dev team to really sort out and and be flexible with our requirements but they did get to a point where it's like you have so many rules and so many decisioning that are backing up the creative that eventually something's going to break or you know there's going to be rules that are conflicting with each other so i think it was just overall the magnitude of yeah. how personalized and how relevant because we did want to have that value exchange with the customer like we wanted to make sure that what we were serving was relevant to the person but we just you know got to a point where we're like this just too much let's just simplify let's just streamline and cut off some of the things that we have created. So you're basically stopping the decision tree turning into the Amazon rainforest. That was the issue you were trying to do there, right? It was sort of when it was started to proliferate. Hey, I'm really interested in from both of your thoughts on how you talked about Ben layering, how you layered the top, mid and lower funnel and it was all digital. So just a really quick top line on how you segmented or, or identified people that were top, what messages they got versus mid and lower conversion. How did that work? Yeah, so we had different, so on the dream layer, we were focusing more inspirational content, working together with our tourism partners on being more focused on the different destinations and really highlight the reasons why you should be flying there, leveraging more specific sort of in-market data about the destinations. Within the plan layer, we went a much more broader. We were- and that's where people are exploring, right? They're not sure where they're going to go, so they're exploring alternative destinations. That's what you're talking about there? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's it. And to really understand what do these destinations, you know, what, what do I experience if I go there? That was sort of our main task there and really drive you know, flight revenue to those destinations. As I was sitting at the very top in the plan layer, it was more about just showing all the different offers that we have for all the different places, much more focusing on the price points and the offers that we have available. So we're actually going a little bit broader and we were just saying, you know, we let the algorithm optimize against whatever people are interested in, targeting a little bit broader, but focusing really on direct response and getting people to come to our website and actually just do a flight search. That was the KPI we had, you know, we don't want people to just book, just want them to do a flight search. So we get these data points, you know, when do they want to fly and when, 
was the moment when they said they want to fly. You know, like when did I visit our website to do a flight search? So we could combine these data points to really understand where in the journey they are sitting. And the very bottom of the funnel, which is the book layer, that's when we did sort of retargeting, right? You come to the website, you do a flight search, and we know where you want to go. We know, have you done multiple flight searches? Have you done for the same destination or maybe for different destinations? Again, that showed up gave us a bit of a difference how we should cater to that um, user in terms of the, the creative that we delivered. And that was all about, you know, direct response, getting them back and just finalize the booking, you know, driving direct revenue. And yeah, all of these different funnel steps had different creative or they have, I was talking the past, it's still running because still it running, performs right? really well. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, but that's how we cater. It's so a different data points, different creatives. And yeah, so so there were also what we call like an audience matrix, you know, all the exclusion rules. So we excluded from that one funnel step, the other audience to make sure we can funnel the user really well through all the different steps. So listen, we're now at the point where we go, I think it was October 2020 was the campaign launch time. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So you're at launch. What did you both hope was going to happen and what did happen? So what are your expectations? What did you promise, Ben? What did you promise? Because uh, yeah, at that point, I think it was, was it Bain Capital that was behind Virgin Australia? So what did you promise Bain uh, or your, your bosses uh, on what this thing was going to deliver and what did it? Yeah, so when we activated, the, the number one hope for us was to just leverage efficiencies and drive more revenue through an always-on approach that caters to all the different campaign owners and all the different objectives. So that's what we wanted to do. And when we activated it, it's not like a CMO call us and it's like, oh, what happened? Suddenly all the airplanes are full, right? Right. (laughs) Because that's not what it's about. It's not a big bang campaign. It's like an always-on approach that is continuously optimized. Given how many rules we had, it it took us a few weeks months even to get it all sort of really smoothened out so it all worked properly and every creative delivered as expected. So that's what happened. We just activated it and then nothing directly happened on day two, you know. But after a few days and after a few weeks, we realized how amazing it is that we don't have to manually set up new campaigns all the time because it's already covered, you know, if we've got an offer in market, it's automatically included in our always-on campaigns. And that's when we then really started to ramp up our test and learn program. And Andy, maybe you can talk a bit about more, but the aim of it was really over long term to optimize all of the activity to really become more efficient and more effective. So Andy, it is a good segue. So what did you test and learn? And at least in the in the channel delivery and in the, in the performance, what did you unpack? What did you discover in terms of what channels and executions worked best? But um, first up, test and learn. You got a few weeks in and you started tweaking. What did you do? So really at the beginning when we when we launched Real-Time Roots or the, the Dynamic Creative Solution, we didn't really have a test and learn framework from the very beginning, all we wanted to do really is, okay, we've developed this massive project and technology and dynamic creative to deliver efficiencies on how we work. And we want it to be automated to cater to people's needs and what they're searching for. But really we just wanted we just wanted to work. We just wanted 
you know, as Ben said, to make sure that we surface the right offer, the right price, the right message at the moment that was more relevant to people. But really, we just launched uh, for a few months and then it was a test and learn agenda and the strategy that came a few months after once we knew, OK, this is all working fine. We've made all the changes that we need in order for it to function as we had hoped yeah, initially, because we knew that from the very beginning there were going to be some hiccups. We ne we didn't expect it to be all completely perfect from the get go, I guess. Like we we knew we, we were re realistic. But the test and learn strategy did come a few months later where we you know sat down and said we've already identified the results. This is working great. We've delivered better results that we've that we've um, ever achieved. Um, let's now sit down and see, OK, what test and learn we can do. So it's the test and learn wasn't nothing that you think might be major, but it was, you know, how can we make small iterations to the creative? So, you know, like, for example, testing the customer value proposition that we were surfacing in the in the creative, the color of the, you know, the CTA button, the CTA message itself, uh, different imagery that could maybe right. be more appealing to the person. So instead of, you know, if you're going to Queensland, something that was more city versus nature, you know, so we did a lot of different iterations to make sure that, you know, that we always surface what was, you know, the most appealing to the individual. But that came, yeah, months after. So we just, yeah, we launched the the, the Dynamic Creative um, on its own. It was a big project in itself. And then once we got to a point where we were really comfortable and we knew it was working, that's when we developed the test and learn agenda that it's still running now. So we never stop testing. We always test and learn, always. It's ongoing, yeah. Got it. So Ben, so you said in the first couple of days there was nothing radical that happened, but your dream did come true. You got it out, you got it delivered and, and started executing. When did you start seeing something? And I know your top line results for the MFA uh, award was, one of them was sort of an increase in revenue of about 30% on your media spend based on your know, historical norms, I think is one of the proof points. So yes, what happened to sale? How did you start to quantify that this thing was working? Yeah, so... There was one very specific moment where we applied DCO in a more contextual, in a very highly contextual environment. And that's where I just had this moment of happiness <laughs> because, you know, CTR is maybe not a measure that shows, you know, revenue or business metrics, but it shows how relevant a creative is. And it actually jumped by three times to 0.75%. And I mean, 0.75, not even 1%. So if you don't know about programmat, you'd be thinking, you know, that's tiny. <laughs> but actually... Yeah, well, this is you talking about click-through rates yeah, here, right? That's Which, it. Uh, yeah, click-through yeah. rate. It was probably three times the average there at 0.75, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. And just and that was just a comparison of having a highly relevant creative to just a normal creative, which is sort of still optimized and running through all the different layers of of you know, standard optimization on the conversion optimization, etc. But yeah, that just was so good to see that it actually really worked. And that was just this one example, which was just back to the word mind blowing. <laughs> so that's cool. And um, overall, just comparing, comparing all the different line items across the different campaigns before and after. So now we always compare it like against pre-COVID data. Now, across all metrics, been up, you know, CTR, click-through rate, and uh, conversion rate. But there are so many external var variables that um, that influencing performance, you know, like what's the pricing that we are offering, what's the market sentiment. 
it's it's sometimes really hard to compare different time frames. But you know, on the opti optimization metrics within the actual campaigns, that's where you could really see the benefit of that activity, and then the operational efficiencies by just not having to do all these manual tasks of having to set up new campaigns because you know no one is really excited about doing that. Andy, um, any standout sort of uh, numbers for you on this that showed, you know, this is why something like this personalized campaign works? Yeah, so I think, um, so Paul, as you said before, you know, like we launched this in um, late 2020, October 2020, and most of our media had been paused until that point because, you know, the airline had just gone through administration a few months prior. So we were still at early stages of the pandemic at that point. People were still, you know, starting to travel again, but there was still some hesitation um, and all we really wanted to do was to capture that demand and try to you know increase revenue at a time where it was really important for the business so i think what stood out for us when we did the analysis on analysis on the performance was that we compared covid period results so nine months of having this approach in market with pre-covid period so a time where things were completely normal compared to things not being normal at all. And as Ben said, there are so many variables, so you can't completely isolate it. But the performance was amazing. Like, as you said, like the revenue increased by 30%. People were almost 50% more likely to drive a flight search throughout, you know, our channels or this specific real-time approach and 71%. Just to be clear on that, what you're saying is that instead of going to Google for search, they'd go to a Virgin Australia-owned media site to do the search. That's a sign of something working. Is that your point there? Yeah. So we we were comparing. We were just comparing like for like. So we were increase. We were comparing our digital approach where we had this real time routes, I guess, decisioning work, uh, performing versus compared to are always on approach pre-COVID. So we were comparing like for like, but yeah, this was like people coming into a website and how people behave before we had this, uh, you know, this tech in place compared to after we had it. So not only, I guess, the performance was great, but also we protected Virgin Australia's bottom line at a, at a moment where it was really, really crucial for them to, to ensure that, you know, that we were driving revenue and, and we, I guess, redesigned the entire always on digital approach, right? We were more efficient than ever, very streamlined. We weren't taking as long to deliver on creative, um, to deliver creative messaging or creative variants. We were just running the, the most relevant message and the offer to, to people where it was, yeah, very important and crucial. Thanks, Andy. Ben, here's a curly question for you. It's not, it wasn't on notice, but if you were to speculate, that had you had not done the campaign like you did uh, and you sort of reverted to pre-COVID strategy and tactics, what do you think the sales, the number of ticket sales uh, would have been down versus what you did? So what, what did it deliver is essentially as a hunch, but I'm asking for some empirical proof here, mostly. Yeah, it wouldn't even have been possible to promote the market to, to the degree that we've done. It just... It's literally, it was the enabler of advertising and promoting markets at scale. So it's really hard to that question, you know, what would have happened if not, you know, that incremental value, <laughs> incremental value question. Right. But, you know. If we were going to go for a range, is 10 to 30% sort of reasonable or higher? Well, it's about within the funnel, it sits about like 30%. So. If we wouldn't have done that or would have done it differently, 
it probably would have been half of that, you know, and that would have been just missing. It's, it's pretty crazy. But, you know, like once you run an activity and it's a market, you sort of, you just build always on top. And we've been building things on top of each other for a very long time, a very complex, what we call portfolio strategy. It's like DCO is one layer of multiple different channels and activities that we're running all the time. So it's sort of adding on top. So it's really hard to isolate individual campaigns, but the sum of it all is just so important to build the baseline of the revenue that we're driving. To wrap this up, I'm interested in just literally what are you doing now? 3.0 next, how do you top this? And is it just to what both you've already said, it's an ongoing iteration of the current strat or the strategy you launched in, in 2020, but what is it? what does it look like now and what is next? To both of you would be good a perspective on that. Ben, I'll jump in and give my perspective. <laughs> my perspective. So I think we're still developing what the next gen for our dynamic creative looks like. But I think for us, the key focus areas are, I guess, number one is that we want to build a completely cookie solution that allows us to continue to be dynamic and deliver that value exchange to VA's existing and potential customers but in a way that doesn't rely on cookies. And we still, we do run on cookie environments or, or targeting non-addressable segments, but you know, in some DSPs, we still leverage segments that are basically based on cookies. So we want to move away from that. Two, we want to, I guess, leverage the loyalty program side of things or the velocity side of things. So, you know, someone that is a velocity member and that travels very frequently might, have different expectations or might want to ha- see a different value proposition to someone that doesn't travel as often. So we want to try and integra- integrate that in a privacy safe way, of course, but we want to make sure that we leverage that as well. And thirdly, we want to expand to new channels, you know, with video being priority number one. Video is the year of video. We always say we want yeah. to make sure that we tap into video and we, and we bring that personalization and relevant message to video. And then to other offline channels as well, like digital out of home or, you know, Vivod. Um, so yeah, we definitely want to um, expand to, to new avenues. There's, there's a lot in there and I'd, we haven't got the time, but I'd love to delve into your cookie list strategy and what that looks like. Cause obviously everyone's powering that way at pace because of what's coming ahead of us. Ben, your, your thoughts on uh, what next? Yeah. So for me, I think it's, it's actually a little bit sad, <laughs> bit of a sad outlook. Because, you know, we know all these different data points and what we've done at the moment is we really controlled everything. You know, we controlled the setup, the creative, the data, and we were able to really deliver based on what we think is best. But I don't think that will be possible in future. You know, we've seen a lot of developments where you just feed your right business signals into the black box of the walled gardens and then you sort of get your creative delivered and the AI is sort of optimizing. So what we'd be doing is, you know, provide the right reasons why someone should be booking the right price points, great imagery and um, ad copy, the right business signals, you know, where do we want to promote things and our first party data. So we put that all into, you know, creative templates. And we leave it up to Google or Meta to just optimize it. And you don't really know what is happening. You just look at the results and you, you know, you drive your incrementality test to make sure it's still delivering value. But at the end of the day, you can't really 
control it anymore based on your own understanding of things. And I mean, that's all just because of privacy laws. And, you know, for example, on some DSPs, you can't use your CDP, you know, your first party audiences with an HTML5 banners. So that's why they all come up with their own approaches, because I guess tech platforms, they fear that there's too much one-to-one communication and that might not be privacy friendly. But, you know, I'm German. I've been always... (laughs) Privacy first at Virgin Australia. So we've always been acting in a very compliant way. And it's been, you know, working really well. So it's just the, the sadness for you is the visibility on the tools doing this stuff as opposed to leaving it to, you know, a third party to drive everything. That's the bit where you go, there's going to be more hands off and on the execution. Is that your point? Exactly. Mm. So listen, um, we've got. To, I, I could keep going. There's so many questions in and around cookie list and how you're managing for that. We'll have to hold that for a, another panel conversation. But I do want to get your final takes, really, watchouts for this year, both of you. Um, what's top of mind for uh, you know the things that you're thinking about most, both at, at a business level for 2023? Obviously, lots of things brewing. I think for us, I, yeah, uh, I guess just yeah, tapping into what we've said before, there's so many changes happening in the landscape and what we've been doing in the past, really relying on cookies, that's not going to be possible very, very soon. So it's making sure that we are completely future-proofed in everything that we do, not just in creative approach or how we run and set up our campaigns, but across measuring, across you know planning, absolutely everything we do needs to be uh, future-proofed and we have to stop the reliance on, on cookies because I think most adver- advertisers still do where, where possible. The issue here, I'm just flagging up, the issue here, of course, is that if if we see some of the proposals from the Attorney General on privacy, even the whole notion of alternative IDs starts to get come under some pressure as well. So it really is a quite a, an unknown at the moment, really, of, of how, how you go to market. Yeah, 100%. I think I think we just have to develop something that is complete, like taking all those things into account, all the regulations, everything that we expect to come. I think we can expect what's going to happen. Like if regulations have been enforced over the last few years, it's only going to get more and more strict. So I think we just have to develop solutions that are very compliant with privacy and yeah, just really rely on, as Ben said, on machine learning and algorithms to make some decisions for us. And we're just going to have to leverage that to make decisions for customers but we're not going to be able to do one-on-one or talk to people like we have in the past it's just going to have to be cohort based or or really just yes well i was going to ask it's a really good point andy and ben i might just finish with you and your takeouts but there is a sort of a, a growing expectation that you know there's a bit of back to the future going on here in digital in terms of contextual targeting so where we've been behavioral and all those those granular details we've been able to do for, you know, the last 15 years, that may change a bit. What's your thoughts on contextual? And does it require a whole new craft for people like you who have had the the luxury of good visibility on data? Now it's sort of contextual strategy planning, if you like, channel planning. Yeah, the DCO work actually works perfectly with contextual environments. So what we've done, for example, is that we just take the signals out of the context of the website. What is it about? and then use that to dynamically in real time adjust our creative so it reflects that point. So that's been really exciting and that's where we've already been seeing really good um, performance uplift. I think overall I'm pretty, I think our setup is pretty future proof already in the way we're doing things. Um, So I'm, I'm quite confident about that, but yeah, obviously lots going to change. 
And thanks so much for the summary on <laughs> the privacy reform. That's been amazing to read through that. Um, oh, this is the MI3 piece. Yes, yeah, right. Yeah, that was that awesome. hurt, can I say. That hurt the <laughs> brain, that one. Um, so just very, very quickly, Ben, so key watchouts for you for this year. Have you covered that or have you got some thoughts? Yeah, I mean, that's the, the privacy really making sure everyone is aligned with this is probably the number one. And otherwise, you know, continuously the revival of brand marketing and reduction of performance-based direct response is something to keep in mind because, yeah, direct response measurement is going to be harder. So we'll have to do things differently. So what I'm really keen is to uh, use our DCO setup to also be run a bit more emotional creatives with the objective to not only drive direct response, but also, you know, change the perception of our consumers, you know, be a little bit more top of mind consideration and not directly expecting someone to take an action after seeing or clicking an ad, but just being aware of our offers. So I think that'll be a really great addition to our current campaign. Well, I got to say, it's good to hear performance marketers talking about the full funnel, right? Because that's historically, we've had a little bit of a, a split in the industry where you're a specialist and if you're lower funnel, then all that matters is conversion. If you're brand, then all that matters is brand. And actually it's all of it, isn't it? That's the point. That's it. And and data is still important, you know, making data-driven decisioning. If it's for performance marketing or brand marketing, if it's about direct response or awareness, if you measure things, you question things, you use data to drive your decisions, and it's not all just, you know, coming from the heart. I think that definitely is going to improve the whole full funnel mix in future. So I'm quite excited about that. I think we've gone through a great learning curve in the last few years. Ben Will, Andy Potter, a really, really interesting conversation. I'll look forward to looping back around and seeing what happens in 12 months' time on Contextual and the rest and no cookies and alt IDs and all those fabulous things that are coming at us at 1,000 miles an hour. So um, stay safe and uh, enjoy your day job. We will loop back around in a few months to see what happens. Thanks for joining. Thank you. Thanks so much. This MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.